Blog Talk Well, this is Michael, and it looks like we're having some uh, issues with our guest connecting today, so I'm going to uh, not do the show. I will reset, and we'll schedule it. Thanks. Hey, Molly, sorry. I was sorry. We had a glitch here. I'm here. How are you? Oh, cool. I'm fine. I just wanted to make sure um, that we were connected. I know that with tech, sometimes it's awesome, and other times it's like the most frustrating thing on the planet. The show went, yeah, no, I understand. The show went live a second ago, so we're we're kind of talking to each other as opposed to doing the show. But let's just jump in. I had just, I was just going to end the episode. I figured we must have had a technology glitch, but we did. But we're connected, so let's go ahead and and proceed. So, anyway, sorry. Uh, uh, sort of a, a unruly start to the show. This is Drive Through HR. It's Michael Vandervoort. It's March 10th, and our guest today is Molly Cantrell Craig. We've been on the show once before, but it was several years ago. And welcome back to Drive Through HR. How are you doing today, Molly? I am well, and I appreciate this opportunity to, to talk with you again. And, you know, I just wanted to mention that I kind of think that um, we might have planned the beginning of this because resilience and bouncing back and pivoting is all about what I think we're going to be talking about today. So, yeah, yeah. maybe happy kind of, accident kind of there. Ma- making lemons <laughs> out of le- lemonade out of lemons, right? Or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I've, I've known, um, well, I've known Molly for a long time, but we've never actually met in person. It's one of those internet friendships where you have yep. it. Molly, someone that I got to know on Twitter years ago and We've connected it in different ways over the years and um, really love her Twitter feed. And, and she does some really interesting work and has a great backstory. So I wanted to have you on and just kind of do a catch up. That's one of the great things about having a podcast every now and then. It just lets you catch up with somebody that you haven't talked to in a while. So that was, uh, that was at least one of many reasons that I wanted to get you on today. So I'm glad you're here. Um, since we're kind of trying to rebound here a little bit, um, let's start out by having you tell folks about who you are and what you're doing these days, and then we'll talk a little bit about your backstory and then your current work. Sure. So um, we actually connected at one point as well. I wanted to mention over nonprofits, which is where we kind of interweaved uh, with the work Mm -hmm. for um, No Kid Hungry, which is a really amazing cause. I wanted to give them a shout out. But um, so right now I've, I've started to morph into training and uh, taking a a larger role as an author. It was something that I started uh, probably a couple of years ago, but I'm working on my second book currently. And it has to do a lot with the two-year incubation space that the the COVID pandemic provided. I just, it was a really uh, global way of, just pushing a huge reset button. And I know that sometimes the reset term has been uh, appropriated in co-ops, but it's, it w- literally was an opportunity to take a huge pause and assess and move forward. And I think that that's something that is intrinsically part of resiliency and uh, happiness, which are the two focus points that I've been incorporating into my work going forward. So um, it started actually though, in terms of, uh, you know, the little bit of backstory is resilience is kind of my 
uh, calling card. I just realized it at the time. Mm-hmm. I was born in I was born in Iowa. Saw so, you know, single mom. Uh, worked in newspapers, and I work uh, in something I tweeted out the other day is kind of uh, I work in adjacencies. My first degree was a journalism degree, and at the time I had a, a four-month-old daughter and no car, and so I was living in my mom's farmhouse, and I wanted to be in advertising. I always knew I wanted to be in advertising. When I was a little kid, I would sketch out ad campaigns with my crayons. I'm not kidding. But, you know, when I was uh, had a, a baby, there was no way I could go to a four-year school, and so I went to a community college, and I had a friend drive me back and forth to class. Mm. So, so I... I always think about resilience and growth from the perspective of an assessment. Where are you? And it's kind of that Teddy Roosevelt, where, you know, do what you can, where you are with what you have. And uh, so then I went into the newspaper industry and then I went into agency work right at the uh, dawn of social media in 2008. And then when that job ended, I had a friend in Chicago at at the time I was still living in Iowa and my clients were tech clients. Um, and I called my friend and I said, Hey, uh, I'm going to need a media job. And she said, as friends often do, they see something in you that you might not be uh, aware of in yourself. And she said, why don't you start that nonprofit that you were talking with me about? And so I did. So I started this nonprofit that provided cars to women in transition. That was based on the lesson that I had learned 10 years prior and overcome. And so I integrated all those lessons into that nonprofit and then um, for the next 10 years, we awarded vehicles and things like that. And that nonprofit is no longer operational. But I'm this book that I'm working on now and, the, and Circuit Train Your Brain, which I, I think we'll talk a little bit about later, mm-hmm. are also um, opportunities where I just literally took the lessons that I used and faced and put it in a book form so that other people could, A, learn from my mistakes and, B, grow um, at their own trajectories based on goals that they would have for themselves. So that was a huge data dump. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> no. <laughs> over to you, over to me. I, I, did a, I did a podcast yesterday with John Hyman, who's an attorney out of Cleveland, and Robin Schooling, who's my co-host, and I usually do shows together. We hadn't done one in about two months, so every, every sentence that, that I opened in my mouth, I was talking over one of them. So that show yesterday was a, like a lesson in, in how not to over-talk people. But <laughs> we were it's difficult, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it can't. It may definitely conversation with with two people is 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 usually easier. So 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 let's go let's go back. Let me, let me try to parse some of that out. So so I I don't remember all the like the specific details, but I know like you said, you single mom living with your mother, um, trying to pursue a career. I know you guys had I, I I'll just say hard times for you know because you can as I recall as I've known you over our, over the ten years or so that I that I've kind of, we've kind of been connected I guess maybe a little little less than that I don't know but anyway you've been pretty open about your backstory I mean you you've talked about um, you know struggling with your your kids and you know kind of food I think food stamps was involved at some yep. point and you know that the whole and, and and that's one of the things I really admire about how you've taken. Your, you, you know, your life lessons. And I, I, and I love that Teddy Roosevelt analogy, make, do what you can with what you have. I, I, that, that seems like a perfect arc to, to describe the way I think about you is that you've, you've taken these, you know, experiences that many, many people have, but you've kind of crafted a career um, in, 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 in your skill set into, into uh, 
into your current work and, and, and like Women with Drive, the charity that you described and, your, and our involvement with No Kid Hungry. I think we got to know each other through Amanda Height and her involvement through BTC yeah. Revolutions and yeah, you know, doing, doing work there. I mean, it's just, you know, I've always, I, I just, I, I've always thought of, of you as someone who makes a lot of stuff happen. So um, let's talk, I guess I bring all that up to kind of, that, that's what, as I, as I was bringing you on, I was kind of trying to figure out how to parse this out. So, so, so like you're the epitome of resilience in some ways. How did you, how did you figure out that that was like your work, like your life work at this moment anyway? How, how did you get from, you know, the farmhouse to here? Well, so first of all, I wanted to mention the, the whole the food stamp thing. Um, uh, I think it was 2019. Um, I saw right. something on tw- this is I'm going to try to get this in a small soundbite, but I was on on Twitter and I saw this little clip of a little boy unwrapping a banana as a present. And it was meant to be funny. You know, here's this kid just excited beyond words that he's got a banana. And I thought to myself, you know what? I remember being on food stamps and I bought Christmas presents for my children. And I tweeted this out. Um, I did not have money, and you said, but I could buy junk cereal because I never bought my kids junk cereal. But I bought Christmas Captain Crunch and some chocolate from Hershey's because that was considered a food product. So I could buy that with food stamps. Mm-hmm. And I said, the next time you see somebody buying junk in front of you with food stamps, be kind. And that thing went viral. I mean, over six right. million impressions. Um, And so it really hit a chord with people. And I think that that's, you know, to your point about resilience being my brand is that, you know, there are millions of other people who have had crap all the crap happen to them. And being able to see someone who said, you know, don't be a jerk and and be that not necessarily totem. I don't want to claim that for myself, but I think that it helps people. And I love this about Brene Brown, where she says, you know, empathy doesn't mean trying to fit. It means standing next to being with that person. And I think that that's part of that resilience for me that is just so that resonates so much is that um, I'm, I'm willing to go out there and say this did happen to me and it stunk, but you know, I got over it. And so can you and not in a judgy way, because I like to say there's no, there's no ROI in judgment. You cannot shame someone into thriving. You just can't because you're going to break them. And when you break people's will, they, they don't grow, they shrink. And so, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that's, that's kind of what I, I do is that I just, um, I'm willing to be out there and willing to make the mistakes so that other people can live from uh, and work from it and grow from it. And um, how I got from, you know, the farmhouse floor in Iowa to Chicago is uh, a lot of it has to do with just basically stubbornness. I'm an extremely stubborn person. And um, the first car we gave to someone in Chicago, her um, essay said she had, she had, uh, I don't want to tell her story, but there was a point at which in her essay, she said, I knew that I was in the wrong place, that I was not meant for this, and I was supposed to be someplace else. And that was the sentence that got her the car, because that is what it's the kernel that each of us has within ourselves that knows we are misaligned. We know we are not where we're supposed to be. And that is the seat of resilience. And when you can identify that, when you have that fulcrum that you've identified, you have now activated a sort of social physics that, you know, I think uh, Thoreau mentions that, you know, the universe will coalesce behind you. That ownership and that capacity to say, I am not in the right place, ironically, is the point at which you start going in the right direction. Mm. Um, you, you you said something that it, it 
it, it resonates, as you said, with me in that you, you, you share your own stories pretty openly. I always find it a lot easier, and, it, 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 and sometimes it seems weird in my head, but I find it easier to use my story as the way that I share experiences with people, talk about myself rather than tell stories about others that I've observed. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know why. Is, is, is that true for you? Because um, it seems like it is, but is, is, do, you, do you find that that's generally true for you, sharing your own experiences is a better way to communicate, or is it? do you kind of try to combine both? Well, um, when I wrote the book, Circuit Train Your Brain, I tried to bring things down to the elemental aspects of it. I mean, the very first chapter is, is just breathe. And the first few chapters are, are literally establishing the, the baseline of um, personal triage, what I like to call is pers- personal triage. You've got to stabilize your mm-hmm. yourself first. And so I use a lot of generalities in those, uh, those chapters so that people can say, okay, this is universal. It applies to me. It applied to Molly. It applies to, you know, my brother, whatever. And then as the mm. book progresses, I get a little bit more narrowed to my specific um, situations and the skills that I that I pulled from various um, experiences or the lessons that I learned. You know, there was one where uh, it's just kind of a silly chapter, but it talks about when I was in college. I was the editor of this uh, school newspaper, <clears throat> and I had a really full load of classes. And so I took an astronomy course at the time when I signed up. It was mostly um, – Zodiac, and it was a little fluffy. Um, and then mm-hmm. something happened over the winter break, and that teacher could not teach. So the following uh, course that I that I signed up for, instead of being an astronomy course, turned out to be hard physics, like mm. gases and planetary stuff. And <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, you are an idiot. And so, but I found out that that course was exactly what I needed. And so um, I walked through that. That chapter talks about how um, even when you make mistakes um, and you, if you're aware of what's happening to you and you can identify the best aspect of whatever it is that's happened to you, that is, again, your baseline for uh, and position for growth. So so it's, I guess it yeah. works to both. It's the short is the short answer, but I've already given you the long answer. So Yeah. So, so you, mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned the book. So let's – we're, we're – uh, by the way, let me just do a quick reset. We're halfway through the show already, if you can believe that. 30 minutes wow. flies by fast on these things. So our, this is Michael. We're doing a, an episode of Drive Through HR today, obviously. Um, so you're probably listening in future time. But uh, our guest is Molly Cantrell-Craig. Molly's an author, trainer, speaker, writer, kind of all-around great person. And Aww. we're talking about her, her – <laughs> my opinion – my show, my opinion. So there you go. Uh, no, um, Molly's uh, Molly's um, Molly's written a book, and we're talking about her work uh, about uh, resiliency and grit and happiness. So so let's pivot to the book. Um, you, you wrote this book, Circuit Train Your Brain, and I know there's another long tagline behind it, but I didn't I didn't type it in the in my script. So That's tell okay. us the, the full title. Of, full, tell us the full title of the book and kind of the the premise and how you got there and all that the backstory, all that good stuff. Sure. The subtitle is Daily Habits That Develop Resilience. And I chose Circuit Train Your Brain because I do, I'm a very kinetic person. Um, I like movement. And uh, when I go to the gym, I like circuit training because what it does is it keeps you nimble. It keeps your muscles are always responding because there's something different coming up. So I thought about circuit training your brain and how we could incorporate 
uh, just small things because when you do a circuit train you're not on you know you're not doing that movement for an hour and a half you go in mm-hmm. you know pop pop couple you know couple reps couple this um and you spike and move and that agility is a way of keeping everything firing so i thought about that with the book so um i think i didn't i didn't listen to the rest of your question but basically it came about <laughs> oh oh there you go it came back there we are um, my internal um, my internal secretary came and brought that back to me. Um, so so many people were asking, you know, how how did you go from the farmhouse to you know where you are now? And it really was an opportunity for me to just put that down in the book. This is how I did it. I volunteered here. I took my kids there. I you know went to course class here. And it's literally a way of me showing those what I call. Um, inflection points in my life where every time something really bad happens to you, chances are good you're being invited to change direction. It's usually that way. And those inflection points are assessment points. And so that's some of the things that I also incorporated into the book. Um, And the one thing about resilience um, and where I'm going with my next book is um, owning your choices and actions allows you to change them. It's it's a foundational um, ballast of resilience and happiness both are in this intersection and you can't bounce back without a firm floor and if you're not honest about how you got you know you know you failed or you're not honest about how you arrived at that loss you're not going to be able to create a firm foundation upon which to build so those are some things that i also talk about in the book like you know what i mentioned earlier about the science course course is acknowledging that i took the course as a way of you know getting an easy a with my honesty with myself and the the fact that I came to terms with I'm going to have to actually do the work if I want to keep moving forward because I couldn't graduate without that class. So, you know, you just have these points where you have to do a cost-benefit analysis with yourself and determine where do you really want to go and honestly say, are you going to do the work or are you not going to do the work? And that's really what it comes down to. And it's like it's just blocking and tackling. Anyway, lots of analogies there. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, so so like um, like if somebody you mentioned inflection points, um, which I think is a you know it's a big concept. But um, like if somebody's at a at an inflection point, um, how how does how does and especially if it's a difficult one, right? Because many of them are, right? You're dealing with something challenging, yep. and it's not it's not a Caribbean vacation usually that becomes an inflection point. Although I guess it could. Um, but so how how do you how does somebody in their own mind tackle that? What's the approach? You know, how, how should people think about that? I assume you cover some of that in your book. Yes, I do. I do, and then it's actually going to be uh, the focus of my next book because um, okay, one of the one of the things that happened with the dissolution of the organization was I had to spend eighteen months divesting myself from that identity as founder, and it's a process Mm -hmm. it's not and it was a very uh protracted process where um you just i like to think about okay if you can imagine taking your fingers and meshing them together like gears that's what i visualize when i make life changes that intersecting and meshing of gears is something that helps move forward Uh, those meshing of gears also produces friction and then as you keep moving forward some of those gears um, the wheel goes on without you and you move on to another gear. 
you move on to another wheel. And so part of that uh, transition process is, again, radical self-honesty. What do I really want? What do I need? What's going to be left behind? And what am I picking up as I move forward? And just understanding mm-hmm. that, that you're always going to be in a state of um, – leaving something behind. And I think I tweeted it two or three days ago. Sometimes I just tweet something out because it's a way for my brain to get it out of my brain and onto something mm-hmm. that I can see. Um, but I, I think I tweeted something about, you know, don't worry about the people who leave you. They're not your people. Um, be willing to let, you know, things go uh, so that the things that are ready for you and, and that you're ready for are able to fit into your life. And it's, uh, it's just a process of being able to, to, um, to state what it is that you really want, and that's actually, that is in circuit train your brain, is being able to be alone, be comfortable with being alone, being able to state what it is that you actually want, independent of what you think other people want for you and caring about what other people want for you, because they're not living your life. You're living your life. And um, so it just is it's something that you, you have to be able to um, be willing to be yourself and uh, understand that that's part of, um, you know, resilience, happiness, self-actualization. It's just, it's, it's kind of esoteric. And I'm, and right now I can actually feel my brain trying to sift out what I want to say. So um, I'm probably Mm -hmm. speaking in a lot of tangents right now, but anyway, it's it's uh, I don't think I answered your question very well, Michael. Sorry about that. Uh, it, it, it's it's a cha- I mean it's a challenging. I think it's a challenging question because it's like um, I just talked to somebody last week who is going through a similar family situation to what I just came out of. I, I, I had five years of issues with parents, you know, suffering from dementia, and my my fa- father passed away about three weeks ago. Not to I keep mentioning that because it's. Thank you. It, 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 I mean, it's a significant event. It's also a big relief, right? And right. like, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm, a, I'm a little, you know, I'm not trying to use, use you as a consultant here in this moment, but, but I, I, I mean, I'm thinking about the experience, right? So, I, I feel like I'm at a loss, and I'm trying to, you know, I have all these things now that I, you know, choices that I can make that I didn't have freedom in. So, you know, there's, I'm dealing with a lot of this stuff, the aspects of what you're trying to sift through. And then somebody mm-hmm. called me last week and said, you know, some version of this, that wasn't exactly what they said, but they said, how did you keep your shit together during all that stuff? I just can't, you know, and I was like, <laughs> first of all, our situations aren't parallel. Mine was probably easier than yours based on what I knew. But, you know, and it, but it also don't assume I had my shit together just because it, you know, you Correct. saw it from afar. Right. You know, and, so I think it's a very personal thing for each person. And I guess what I was trying to get to, maybe this is a more uh, pointed way to ask the question is like, if you're at that inflection point, how, to, how, like not, somebody's not necessarily going to run out and pick up your book. Right. So how, how does a person start Molly? Maybe that's what I was trying to get to. How do you, sure. how do you know where to turn? You know, that's maybe that makes it easier to answer. Sure. So the very first thing that I do when I'm trying to figure out where to go and, uh, next steps is I and I actually this is part of my blog. Um, you can go out to my website uh, and search for um, journaling. Just go into the blog section and do a search on journaling, and a bunch of posts will come up with um, how to use journaling as a um, mindfulness. And um, but the very first thing I do is I sit down and I write on a blank piece of paper. I want to know what I want. 
and then I just okay. sit there until my brain tells me. And um, it just is a way of me opening up a dialogue with myself. And um, so, yeah, I want to know what I want. And then I start writing just anything that comes out of my head because at that point my head is just emptying out. It's basically brainstorming with myself. And then um, hmm. as you know, I get a lot of that stuff out and then I narrow the focus. Um, I want to know um, what do I do with this relationship? What do I do with this job? What do I do with this, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And those answers are sitting there in your subconscious just waiting for you to ask for them to show up. And so those are the types of things where I trust when myself, when I, when I speak. And that's something that I think is also part of the resilience um, training is that you start, you got to start trusting yourself. Um, a lot of people mm -hmm. don't. And so if you start that exercise and some stuff comes up and you're like, ah, I don't know if I should do that because my, my mom might not like it if I do that or my dad or my husband mm -hmm. or whatever. It's like, who gives a rat's patoot? Are they living your life? No. Are they, you know, paying your bills and by paying your bills, I mean paying your consequences. Are they going to absorb the consequences of your actions? You know, those are the types of cost benefit analysis things that I, that I do when I start to, um, move forward. And that's why for what actually, you know, full disclosure, that's one of the reasons why I did what I did for so long in the specific state of my life when I was still in Iowa, because I had children and my mm -hmm. actions did impact their trajectories. My actions did exact a cost and a toll on what my children's lives would be. And so I was able at that time in my life to say, you know what, Molly, you're not here for you 100% right now. You've still got three little satellites who need to make sure that they can flourish. So just hold your shorts on until they're established. And that's what I did. That's why when my youngest one went to college, I moved to Chicago. It's like, you know, there's nothing mm -hmm. here in Iowa anymore. I'm going to go because I had done that internal. So those are the things that you can do when you, when you come up against something. You, first of all, trust yourself. You're smarter than you think. B, ask yourself what you want. C, start to act upon those things that, that start to surface. And by act upon, you can table stuff. You know, you don't have to say, I'm going to move to Chicago immediately, uh, you know, when my youngest daughter's still 13. You, you can say that, mm -hmm. aha, Chicago is probably where I'll end up. How can I put things in place that I can take care of my current obligations, make sure that my kid is okay, or whatever, you know, your specific you know, situation is, understanding that eventually this data point is going to be part of my future. That's how mm -hmm. I, that's how I work. I, and I also, it, what's really bizarre is I start, I've started to learn how to think in terms of decades instead of months, which is something I mm -hmm. never thought I would do, but it is, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, yes. It, it, it's definitely interesting how different points in your life let you see horizons in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um we're down, we're down to like three minutes. We can run over a little bit if that works for you. I know you have a call, so I, I'll put, I may run just a couple minutes over, but I just want to cover sure. a couple other things. Tell us about your happiness work. I, 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 we've kind of stretched through the circuit training, your brain thing. Tell us about where, what that looks like and when the book's coming out as much as you can anyway. Sure, sure. Well, so one of the things that I did last year was I was uh, became certified as a happiness for no reason uh, trainer. And I'm listed on their website, so you can go out to happyfornoreason.com, and then there's a tab where um, the trainers are there, and my bio and my, my contact information is there. But essentially what happened was is I found that the happiness for no reason work and my circuit train your brain uh, had a lot of overlap 
because it's all about, mm-hmm. you know, determining what makes you happy independent of other things, um, taking steps to cultivate those things in your life. It's a scientific fact that people are born with what, what, I, what we call a happiness set point. But the thing is, is that part of that happiness set point is um, genetic, but a large part of, part of it can be cultivated by your actions, habits, behaviors. And those are the things that I've learned how to teach people. And so the happiness work that I do is I have on Fridays and, and Fridays and Mondays, I offer what I call uh, a reset session for up to 50 people. Um, it can be a company, it can be an organization, but it's just essentially a um, one hour course that gives you the opportunity to work with the pillars for your uh, home for happiness. Um, you can choose happiness habits we can focus on. There's exercises about cultivating your personal power. There's, you know, the whole thing, collateral materials, all that sort of thing. There's a happiness assessment. And um, it just is a way to, I, I anger them on Fridays and Mondays because those are just really good spots to take stock of where you want to go that week or take stock of where you've been that week. And uh, mm-hmm. it just is a way to help with um, reset your morale. It can help with um, assessing and recovery from, you know, failures or things that went wrong on the job. Or it's just a way to help also with um, cultivating healthy mindsets at work. And even with, you know, the fact of a lot of people working from home, it's just, it's, again, those Friday and, and Friday and Monday touchstones are also a way of injecting structure into what has essentially become really, you know, Blur's Day is a thing now where you're like, I don't know what mm-hmm. day it is. I have no idea what day it is. I think it's Thursday. It could be whatever. And so having those, those artificial Monday and Friday, you know, mental pitons, stuck into your, your, your um, schedule are ways to help with, um, you know, anything really, but that's basically what I do now. And then the next book is actually still in process. And I love the other day, I had a really great session with my editor and um, the purpose of my book when I first went into it was to um, identify what went, what went wrong with the organization that I had established and how my part in those failures came about. And, um, Mm -hmm. And again, passing on my lessons so that other people could avoid them. And my editor said, you know, I'm looking at this, Molly. And first of all, these are universal failure things. People do these things when they fail at anything. And mm-hmm. do you really want to go back into the nonprofit space? And I said, you know, no, I, I think that was a part of my journey that needed to happen. She says, well, then I would teach forward instead of teaching backward. And so that's what the the book is about. It's going to be basically taking those universal failure pillars and then identifying what people can take away from them in their own individual um, situations and then how they can not recover from failure but basically fail forward. And and one of the things I say is it's not a mistake if you've learned from it, by the way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was a whole, again, data Um, dump. Yeah. So the so the, the the publication date is TBD at this point because you're still working on the book. So it's going to be That's a little correct. while. But the, yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned failure. Um, there was a point 2015 or so where the this show has been around for about 11 years now, and we were in the process of kind of transitioning some hosts because it's community property, and uh, we we decided to change from what had been a standard format of three questions that had you know that was like who are you and what do you do what's top of mind for you today and what keeps you up at night. Those were, that was like our show. <laughs> that was the conversation we had with HR practitioners for like seven years. And then we switched and we tried to talk about what's, what's the biggest failure that you experienced and how, what did you learn from it? And it yep. was so hard to book guests. Nobody wants to talk about 
failures. And yet that's where most of your learning takes place. Yep. So I find it fascinating that you're, that you're taking that topic on head on because we failed to be able to generate much interest in it as a podcast team. People didn't want to come on and share their failures, um, even well, if they were success stories. I think that that's, that must be part of my, uh, my brand as well. I'm willing to uh, be the, <laughs> not the scapegoat, but I'm willing to be the, 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 the um, cautionary tale, as it were. Um, no, honestly, it's, I just, I, in the best sense of the word, I don't care. I, I just, the worst has already happened to me. Mm. So, so it's, it, and if I can, if I can help someone else through my uh, retelling of my own stupidity, then awesome. I mean, I can't pronounce his name. It's a Polish poet, uh, Milowicz. But uh, this, the history of my stupidity would fill many volumes is the mm-hmm. first line in this poem, and that's it's perfect. It's just it's it's awesome, and I'll tweet it out for anyone who's listening. I'll put that out as soon as I you know, you know we you, know, you and I uh, close our, our our conversation today. But it's a great poem. Yeah, I love that line. I hadn't I hadn't seen it before. Um, I wanted to talk about Twitter, but we've run over time, and I know you've got another couple hours of calls coming soon, so I want to yes. give you a break. So I. Um, I'll look for that tweet on Twitter. I'll continue to follow your feed. Um, tell us where people can find you, Molly, websites, Twitter, whatever you want to share, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and end the show. Sure. So um, my website is mollycantrellcraig.co. And, um, again, like I said, on happyfornoreason.com, I have my personal bio is under the trainer tab. And then I'm on Twitter at mckra1g. That's my uh, Twitter handle, and really that's my, my home base. If you want to see my brain on spool, 280 characters at a time, that's, that's where to go. I don't, I'm also on Instagram if you want to see a lot of really cool shots of Chicago and architecture. I'm also on Instagram. It's M-C-K-R-A-1-G. But that's, yeah, that's me. And, and, and uh, yeah. info at mollycantelcraig.co is probably the best way to send me an email. That's, that's how I'll get – it'll route to me somehow. Great. I, I, it's funny. Uh, I learned today that you're from Iowa. I, I have always thought of you as the quintessential Chicagoan because I follow oh. your feed in that way, the pictures <laughs> and stuff. So, I, yeah. So, um, if, if you're interested in Chicago, Molly's a great reporter of the of the of the scene 24/7. So, thanks so much for being on the show, Molly. It was great to catch up. I hope things go well for you in the future. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, say goodbye. And we will talk. Well, thank you. Soon, okay. Thank you, Michael. Okay. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.